Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wealth. I'm your host, Roger Abel, joined here today again with Jonas Everett. And uh, we're going to talk about a really unique topic today. Um, it's a topic that's relevant to every single person. And it's really a book that Jonas wrote. And, and it's a concept that we've kind of developed here as an office. And it's called A No Budget Life and How to Turn Your Monthly Bills into Lifestyle Investments. And I think this probably came about, Jonas, because when you start talking with people about their budget, and different things, what we've come to realize it's really hard for people, number one, to stick to a budget, number two, to feel good about a budget, and number three, to actually, you know, complete a budget, right? Budgets typically don't work for most people. Um, so tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and some of the key points in that book, Jonas. Yeah, thanks, Roger. You you hit the nail on the head, really. Uh, if, you, if you just hear the word budget, it is... Uh, it has almost a bad connotation uh, with people. And uh, what we try to do here, and you, you, you and me, we try to do this every day, is educate and inspire people to be maybe a little bit more on the positive side uh, with their investing and, and their spending. And I, I just noticed through the years that everybody had a different relationship with money. And I wanted to, I wanted to write something. I wanted to put something together that people could read. And after they were, they were done, they could actually enjoy their money a little bit more, maybe just a little bit more than they than they could before. And uh, kind of some of the research I did uh, on behavior uh, economics and behavior finance is. Uh, uh, people have a, everybody has a different relationship uh, with money and spending. And uh, I wanted to, again, I wanted to let people know that it's okay to spend money on the areas of their life that they love the most. And it's okay to almost be cheap on the areas of their life that they don't like to spend money on. And uh, take it from there and don't live restrained in a budget because I think that if people go out each month and they have a, just a set budget. If they go over that budget, they feel guilty. If they go under that budget or if they keep within that budget, they feel deprived. They feel like everybody else is having fun with their money. So I wanted to write something that uh, would maybe recalibrate people's brains and have them read it and say, okay, I get it. I can, I can spend the money. Jonah said it's okay to spend the money. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And Jonah said it's okay to save the money. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And just just enjoy money because that's the whole purpose of money. Ultimately, it's just a useful it's just a useful tool for people to enjoy. That's all it is. Yeah, and I think that when I hear budget, and I think most people are probably in the same group, when they hear the word budget, automatically they think of being deprived or not getting the things that they want. Um, and life's short. We shall enjoy our time here and enjoy the money as long as we're doing the, the small things that get us to the end. Um, so let's talk about some of the problems there, there are with budgets. And you, you hit on this in your book, but budgets are intimidating, right? Because money is emotional. Um, and actually sit down and put down every single thing you spend your money on each month. I think when people do that, they're enlightened to where their money goes, right? Because they they expect they're spending it in one area of their life, but really they're probably wasting a lot of it or it's seeping out the side. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you think the problem are with budgets and some of the stuff that you mentioned in your book, Jonas. Well, I think, you know, the, the main problem with budgets is, uh, you know, people look at money and uh, they just have a very twisted relationship. What I've noticed over 27 years of doing this 
is that you have some people that feel guilty about spending money, any money at all, and that's wrong, and that's a bias that they learned from their family. And then you have other people that uh, I have a, you know, I have a saying that they have a, almost a money burning a hole in their pocket syndrome. Where as soon as they get money, they go ahead and spend it. So, you know, I wanted to, you know, let people know it's okay to write down what your expenses are, but because. But ultimately, just because you have a list of your expenses doesn't necessarily mean that each one of those bills that you have every month coming through is important to you and other ones aren't. So I wanted to, people to actually identify um, the lifestyle, I call it lifestyle investments that are most important to them. And the other ones are just little old bills. And the example that I give in the book is, uh, uh, when we have pizza every night, it's not a you know it's not something that we we want to uh, spend money on. When we have pizza once a week, we're going to scrimp and save. We're going to put coupons together, and uh, usually about uh, once every four months, we'll come up with a well a free pizza out of the deal. Now, our lifestyle investment, what we love spending money on, is many family trips. So if I can skimp on pizza night and I can have more money to spend on the family and maybe take the family to Wisconsin Dells. Now, the opposite of that, before I came up with this concept, I would go to, uh, uh, I would go to Wisconsin Dells. I, I, I didn't identify how important those family trips were. I would go to the Dells and I would try to skimp. Um, on everything possible, and I wouldn't enjoy myself. Um, as the breadwinner of the family, I think it's it's important to identify what your most important lifestyle investments are and just skimp on the rest and go out. And like I said, uh, like we say at Premier Investments of Iowa, you know, you've saved for retirement, you know, go ahead and enjoy it. Well, you could go ahead and enjoy money at any stage in life, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, if you read this book, grasp the concept of lifestyle investments. And uh, like you said, as long as you have your other things in order, you know, your other financial planning uh, tools in order, you can go out and you can enjoy the money uh, and not have a budget. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, what you're really doing is you're assigning responsibilities to money versus saying, hey, this is what I have to pay. We all know we have bills we have to pay. Like we all have the internal budget of what happens, but you're saying, Hey, these things are super important to me or my family. So we need to include those things because what a lot of people don't do. And we see this every single day, they come in and we say, okay, you want to retire at X age. How much do you think you're going to spend? And what do they do? They pull out and say, well, this is my budget, but what's not in the budget is the new car, the vacation, all the entertainment. It's literally just their stuff to get by. So it's almost like they're giving themselves a false sense of reality as to what you're going to spend. Um, and, and I think part of why you wrote this book is for people to realize that spending money isn't necessarily bad as long as you're taking care of all the other things along the way, right? Uh, we refer to them as financial hoarders. One of the things about budgets that's interesting and why we don't actually believe that the top-down budget really works is you wrote about this in your book when I read it, you, you made the analogy to diets. And today there's more information about how to be healthy and fit and lose weight than we've ever had before in our society. But as a nation, we're as heavy as we're, we've ever been. I think what do they predict? A third of the people be diabetic because of the amount of sugar that they intake. Um, so it just proves that just because you have more information with things doesn't mean 
that you're actually going to be more financially successful. You could read every single budging book out there, but if you don't understand your personal relationship with money, which I think is a key component, understanding how you spend money, um, you're not gonna be successful doing this. And I, I actually have a story. I had a client come in, this is like four years ago, Jonas, and they had a, they had a, um, a home equity line of credit, okay? about 60,000-ish dollars. And they said, hey, you know, we have X amount of dollars in this IRA, they have like 150,000 in there. And they said, should we take this money out and pay this off, right? They're getting ready to retire. And I thought about it for a minute and just on paper, you'd say, yep, get, get the debt knocked off going into retirement. I asked them a question, I said, well, are you scared to borrow more money right now? And they said, well, yeah, we are. And I said, well, if you take out the money, you're taking out basically two thirds of this account to pay this off. I said, I don't think you understand your relationship with money because once you have it paid off, I'll bet you in three years, you're gonna have that home equity line of credit maxed out again. And they thought about it, they're like, you know, you're probably right. So in that situation, they kind of determined, you know, maybe we don't pay this off in one chunk because I am not gonna be able to handle being debt free because they already proved that they couldn't before. So, you know, just because we have more information on how to be successful with this stuff, doesn't really mean we're going to be. Yeah, the uh, the the value of a financial plan. I remember the good old days where we were doing financial plans for people. And uh, one of the ideas I got for this book was actually from you, Roger, because uh, you always had people, bud what you called, let's budget in some fun each year. And that's what uh, people uh, actually forgot to do. And uh, I also had a meeting with some customers and uh, you know, it, it's hilarious when you roll up the sleeves and, and take a look at people's confidential data and you take a look at their spending habits, like and kind of what you were talking about. And uh, I had uh, a husband and wife, and this is in the book, and uh, um, traditional financial planning has you maybe replace 80% of somebody's retirement income. So we started off, these people did a fantastic job saving money. They had fantastic uh, incomes when they were working. And uh, we, we started off with uh, trying to replace 80% of their income. And uh, the financial plan came back, uh, the, the projection came back and it was an A plus. It was no problem for, the, for them. But that wasn't good enough for the wife. She wanted to go for the gusto. She wanted to go replace 100% of the income yeah. on the computer and see what the projection says. That comes back with an A plus. And we got to the point where we were looking at almost $10,000 a month in income replace replacing income for this family um, in retirement. And I, I shut the computer off and I said, uh, I looked at the husband, Ken, and because they both did a good job on their finances. And I said, before we get carried away with traditional financial planning here and trying to replace you know all of your income or even more of your working income, how much money are you spending right now when you're not working? And this is little old Iowa, right? This yeah. isn't the East and West Coast in Chicago and uh, flashy, flashy new cars. And uh, I said, well, take a week, come back and, and, and come up with a number and on a little sleep of, slip of paper and slide it over to me next week or in a couple of weeks. And uh, he said, I don't, need, I don't need a homework assignment. I already have it. They were that savvy with their finances. 
and he had a little slip of paper and uh, the amount of money that they were spending uh, each week wasn't $2,500 a week. It was actually somewhere around three hundred and fifty dollars a week. <laughs> so uh, the the month their monthly income that needed to be re- replaced was eighteen hundred. Now, like kind of like we, what you talked about, I had no idea what their relationship with money was before I met them and before we started to develop a financial plan for them. So, um, you know, ultimately for their lifestyle investments, um, they're going to need not as much money as they thought. Uh, coming in and they just needed somebody to again maybe recalibrate their brain a little bit when it when it comes to income and when it comes to spending and when it comes to financial planning and that's where a no budget life comes in it's actually it's a lot different than most of the financial gurus out there that make you stick to a plan no matter what well they don't know what your relationship with money is like we do for our customers right so another point you have in the book here is how budgets actually start to encourage spending and you reference a timeshare story just wondering if you'd you kind of share that story and and why you think budgets encourage more spending versus you know really staying on budget and doing all the things we're supposed to do yeah it's almost uh it's almost psychological that i've seen for a lot of people it's uh uh it's a concept to where they're so committed uh to a budget or to an expense that uh i had a story a, a personal family friend that uh him and his wife work very hard and, uh, you know, he thought that uh, we deserve to go on two or three vacations a year, no matter what. So for him, if he put the money down in a timeshare, then that would he thought that that would make their family and him committed to go on these trips each year when it was an absolute ripoff. <laughs> it was the world's worst investment. And, I, you know, I, I had the ability to talk to Mike, and uh, obviously there's no, you know, way to get out of a, a timeshare at this point. But I said, you know, if you were to just identify what your lifestyle investment was, your most important lifestyle investment for your family, you wouldn't have had to put that money up front and you wouldn't have had to pay all those fees and everything else. You would have just gone on those trips two to three times a year, uh, no matter what. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually able to help him a little bit uh, now, but uh, I think a lot of people put their money up front uh, on maybe country club memberships, timeshares, vacation packages, and they're gonna, they do that because uh, they, don't, they, they haven't identified what their lifestyle investments are. If they've sat down in a room and wrote down that the most important thing I wanna do this year for fun is take a trip, they wouldn't put their money up front for a trip. Uh, they would just take that trip because that would be their lifestyle investment. So let's talk just a little bit about the definition of a lifestyle investment. What's the actual difference between the lifestyle investment and the budget? How do they differ? You know, let me, why don't you expand on that a little bit too, before we get too far in front of us, we've talked about it a bunch. Let's put the definition behind what a lifestyle investment is. Uh, the, The easiest way I remember it is FLF. Fun, love, feel good about spending. Um, and when it comes to money, most people don't don't see money and spending like that. So, any any expense, any payment, anything that you're spending money on that is fun, that you love, and that you actually feel good about spending, and they're out there. You just have to identify which ones they are in, in your household. I'll give you another example. Uh, one of my old neighbors. Uh, 
uh, we were talking about, we used to golf together all the time. And uh, uh, he brought up a good point on the golf course uh, after we paid our greens fees. And, uh, you know, you have to, you have to get new golf balls every once in a while. And uh, uh, I, I made a comment to him. I said, uh, you know, this really adds up on Sunday morning sometimes, you know, when you run out of golf balls and everything else. And Shane said, you know what? My wife enjoys spending our money on getting her hair done uh, once a month or twice a month. And then he said, I enjoyed spending money on, on golf. And I thought that was great. And that was another uh, story in the book uh, that, uh, that, you know, even my old neighbor identified. And again, that was fun for him and his wife. Different things. The wife doesn't play golf. You know, she just loves getting her hair done. And uh, it, 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 it feels good for both of them, for both of them to spend money uh, on those different. That to me is a definition of a lifestyle investment. So I think it's important to realize that we're not saying go just spend money and not know where it's going. You're really just talking about assigning responsibilities to this money. It's similar to a budget, but instead of the negative connotation, we're saying, hey, let's identify what's important to us as well as what actually needs to be done and accomplished to go about living our daily life. I think it's so funny, you know, I, I read these things on CNN or whatever little kind of clickbaits out there, you know, how drinking coffee is going to be the reason that you don't retire. And that's just not true. And uh, let's be honest, the reason that people don't retire is they don't start saving money at an early age and save a little bit of money over a long period of time. That's really why people aren't successful because they're concerned about, I have this budget, I got to pay off all this debt. And they just completely forget about the number one wealth building tool, which is compound interest. It's the number one way to build wealth is generating compound interest from a young age. But if you just listen to all the financial gurus out there, it's only about one thing, getting a higher credit score, you know, getting a higher FICO score, paying off your debt. Well, no part of that actually coincides with building massive wealth. It's just getting out of debt. And it's unfortunate because they try to scare you into believing that if you're not out of debt, you won't be wealthy. And it's just simply not true. The way to get wealthy is just accumulating over a very long period of time. Um, so you also talk about in the book, financial hoarders, and we all know these people, right? The people that are paralyzed to ever spend money. Mm -hmm. They're paralyzed to do anything because they're, they feel, feel or fear that they will run out. Tell me a little bit about some financial hoarder situations you've had or some of your key takeaways from that. Yeah. Personal stories, you know, that the experience that, that you and I have uh, in the business, uh, we're really, you know, we tell people we're in the we're in the investment business, but we're actually in the relationship business, right? Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. The investments are going to go up and down, but uh, ultimately, uh, the the relationship has to be uh, solid. But uh, another story about uh, you know financial hoarding. Uh, I we run into people that have done a good job saving before they met us, and we try to help them with a lot of fine tuning and. Uh, doing this a long time, you know, people are, uh, unfortunately, they're gonna pass away a few times a year. We're gonna have customers pass away. And uh, I had a couple of uh, small business owners, husband and wife, both running successful uh, business for years. And, uh, you know, I, I, you reach a point in uh, relationships where you can ask them, how'd you do it? And that's sure. my favorite question that I can ask people. How'd you do it? You know, Jonas came along 10 years ago, but you, you had all this stuff before I met you. 
And, uh, you know, my customers said that, uh, you know, they said that, uh, well, if you're not working, you're spending money. So we didn't want to be on the, uh, the B side. We didn't want to be on the spending money side. <laughs> so we just kept working. Well, unfortunately, I, you know, I know that family well enough to where they didn't take a lot of trips. The only trips that they took each year were maybe one or two industry trips that were uh, partially paid for by <laughs> somebody. Uh, well, that... That, that family passed away with a substantial fortune and uh, the beneficiaries uh, basically, you know, as far as I know, um, the, the wealth was gone within five years. Um, so it's almost a life's work of uh, hoarding money when you have the next generation um, just spending money, you know, and, uh, you know, spending all of it. So. Uh, what we try to do with people that have done a great job spending money is just try to go in and let them know that there has to be a way to enjoy some of this stuff. There has to be a church or a charity, or there has to be uh, there has to be a, uh, a lifestyle investment that you guys want to make uh, while you're still working, while you're still living, while you still have your health, and enjoy just enjoy some of that money. Um, and one of the concepts I use in financial planning, I had one customer call it just skimming off the top. I said, you know, let's try to keep the principal in place for as long as possible. I know you don't need this money for retirement, but let's just pay the taxes and send you the skim. Let's send you the interest and dividends out each month. And then uh, we'll do that for a year. If you really have a problem with it and you, uh, you continue to save all of this money, then we can stop you know, sending you the interest and dividends out. But uh, that's one way to help financial hoarders is to send them out the interest and dividends and see if they can find a way to enjoy it or find a lifestyle investment that they really enjoy. Well, and this goes back to the whole idea of if you're saving enough to meet your retirement goals, which most people may or may not have quantified this, right? And there's really one way to quantify it, and that's through a financial plan, which we'll hit on later. But if you're already doing everything to meet your current objectives, then why wouldn't you go invest today versus just saving more money? And, and I did this personally. So I built a new house about three years ago and we put it in in-ground swimming pool. I've got two young girls and uh, everybody I talked to, oh, you're going to hate it. Everybody I know <laughs> who's ever had a swimming pool just filled it in and concreted over it. And, and it wasn't cheap. I mean, this is a nice pool. But I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. And I would argue today that it's maybe the greatest investment that I've made, and it's non-financial, it's 100%. We go out every single day in the summer with our girls. Coronavirus came around, it was a blessing because we still have the swimming pool, we have the entertainment. So we made that lifestyle investment. Would I have been better off financially saving the money for retirement? Maybe, but at some point, if I'm already saving what I need to save to hit my retirement objective, then I can go do the splurge. And I think that's what you're getting at in this book is if you're doing all the right things, then we can go spend money. We don't have to just keep saving more. We're not discouraging saving, but we're also, what we are doing is encouraging, enjoying and living life today through lifestyle investments. Um, so that's my greatest example is our swimming pool. I know you put one in this year too, yeah. um, but you know, arguably it's the best investment I made. Yeah, it's worth, uh, you know, every, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, you really, you guys really enjoy doing that. That's your lifestyle investment. Nobody can take that away from you. 
you talked about getting your your financial house in order along the way no matter what age you are uh, one of the chapters in the book uh, chapter seven is called the retirement isn't free but your 401k matches this is uh, this is the section that uh, um, probably is the most popular section of the book that we talk about on AM 600 radio. Uh, even our, uh, our, uh, our radio personality, Doug Wagner, loves this section. It takes a look at your age and what you should be doing financially along the way to be building your foundation, to be able to not only enjoy money in your 20s and 30s, but it, it's, it's a checklist that, uh, that people can uh, follow that say, Okay, I get it. You know, if I'm I'm gonna punch off these, it's almost like a ten. It's almost like a lunch ticket uh, back uh, back in preschool and, and junior high. Uh, if you punch off these ten things when you're in your twenties and your thirties and your forties and your fifties, uh, then you're you're actually it's and it's it's progress, right? You're not able. Uh, most people won't be able to fulfill all ten punches uh, in their twenties. But it's progress, not perfection. As long as you know what those punches are and you're getting your financial plans in order at those different ages, then I think the checklist is very helpful. And I, th I think you just mentioned it, financial plans. To be successful at this idea of a lifestyle investment, arguably you need to have some financial plan put in place to number one, make sure you're on track, but also quantify what that additional money is I could spend today on other things. Um, I actually just think about this with, with a current person I just worked with and uh, they wanna start investing in rental properties because it's their kind of passion or what they wanna do. But they wanted to make sure that they were already on track with their saving amount that they were currently doing because I told them, if you're gonna go make this investment, which Arguably, real estate has been one of the greatest investments someone could have made the last 30 years. So I never discourage it. I said, but let's make sure you can pay for that investment. I mean, make the payments on it, whether it's rented or not, because that's how people start to get into trouble, right? They, they buy an investment of property, assuming it's going to be rented. And then, oh, by the way, it's empty for six months. We run into trouble. And these people are in their early 30s. So we actually put together a financial plan, looked at what they were currently doing and backed into the number of free cash they had that they could buy an investment property with. They're still investing, but that was kind of their lifestyle investment. They wanted to go buy a place, fix it up, rent it, and see return on their investment, but not sacrificing their own personal retirement through their 401ks and IRAs and all the other tools that they're using, which I thought was really neat that they actually went to a financial advisor to have them quantify that for them. Um, and they're gonna be wildly successful because you know this investment property, we didn't include in the plan. Later on in life, we'll be able to, right? There's gonna be income and different stuff coming from it, but they're just building their wealth you know, through different avenues, but they're making sure they're checking, like you said, all of the boxes along the way. So Jonas, let's talk about another part of your book. It's called Common Spending Myths. I think this is great. You hit on a couple ones, which is pay your debt ASAP, never buy a new car, and I'm gonna add one in, pay your house off early. Right. Those are things we would consider spending myths. I'll let you hit on the first couple and I'll take care of the paying your house off early one. So if you wanna start. I don't know if these biases, these spending biases come from our parents or come from our neighbors or where they come from, but uh, you know, if, if we look at uh, whatever worked for your parents that may not necessarily work for your financial life. So 
Um, if you look at uh, the fact that uh, you know people will say you should never ever buy a new car. Um, now I, I disagree with that because uh, if a new Chevy Silverado is your lifestyle investment, and then I'll, I'll kind of pick on the Everett family here, my family, we take a lot of family trips. If you're not a trip person, and you're not a big house person, but you love brand new cars, <laughs> and that's your lifestyle investment, why shouldn't you buy a brand new car uh, each year? And uh, Roger, uh, we've done this math before, with the rebates, and with the financing, and with the, everything that you can get um, on a new car, uh, versus fixing up a clunker uh, car each year. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, uh, and, and, you know, I think if you purchase a car in, in general, you're not going to win. So no. if you, if you buy a clunker, you're going to have to fix it up all the time. If you buy a new car, you're going to, it's going to depreciate. That's a, that's a no brainer. Everybody knows that, but there's no right or wrong answer. There's no never uh, buy a new car answer, especially this day and age when what you can get 1% financing if you have good Zero credit on some of it. But yeah, I think more importantly is you hit it on the head. It's not important to everybody. Right. Right. So if you could care less about cars, so go buy the junker. If you want to deal with the headache of fixing it up, my wife and I, we drive nice cars. Why do we do that? I don't have time to worry about when the car needs to go to the next, to the shop again. Um, we're also business owners. So there's some advantages to buying vehicles. Um, but that's our life. That's one of our lifestyle investments. We want a nice car. Do we buy the most expensive car? No, but we buy new reliable cars typically. Um, and then I think this one's really good. Pay down debt ASAP. Well, we we all agree that there's what we call good debt and bad debt, right? What's the good debt? Our mortgage, potentially our student loans, if we have those at a low interest rate. But what we like to do is look at, you know, if you have this debt, what's the interest you're paying on it? Because this is relevant, especially today with interest rates near two and a half percent, two point seven five percent on a thirty year loan, right? What's the opportunity cost? of paying that off versus investing the dollars or putting it into our lifestyle investment, whatever it may be. Um, I can tell you that, that we're working on another show, which actually analyzes this opportunity cost, which is what people forget about when they get so ingrained into, hey, I have to pay off this house in 15 years because this person told me to do it. They don't actually look at the pure numbers or the pure cost to do it. It's not free because the dollars could have been used somewhere else. We're all in agreement that carrying credit card debt at 18%, that's bad. Like we should pay that off as soon as possible, but not all debt needs to be paid off immediately. And you, you hit on hit hit on that in your book. And you know, I'm working on another show that looks at, hey, should we pay our house off in 15 or 30 years? And there might have been a time where it was really relevant to pay that house off in 15 years, but it today's interest rates, it's extremely hard to justify paying that house off much earlier than a 30-year loan, especially when the, the difference between a 15-year mortgage rate and a 30-year mortgage rate is only about half a percent right now. It used to be a much larger discrepancy, but today the, the spread is so narrow, it's really hard to justify that. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Roger. And if you, you're gonna show people and you're kind of teasing people now with the with the next show and the, and the data later, but if you look back to our parents, the average mortgage interest rate was 15% in 1981. If you had good credit, that's if you had good right. credit. 
So that was a fantastic financial idea to, to pay your mortgage off right away, sure. as fast as you possibly could. Now, what worked for your parents financially may not necessarily work for you. If you feel that you can make more than 3% on your investments and you have good credit, you have a good credit score, you really have to, like you said, Roger, you, you have to see if the math pencils out on paper and if it's a good financial deal and maybe let go of that bias of paying the mortgage off. And I know that there's a lot of financial pundits out there, but again, what's worked financially for your parents may not necessarily work for you. Because like you said, Roger, if you're missing opportunities, if you're missing investment opportunities, if you're missing the opportunity to get more compound growth along the way by paying your mortgage off, paying your 3% mortgage off in a hurry, then you're going to have a, a lesser pile of chips to count um, in retirement. And I think around here in Eastern Iowa, the derecho taught us one thing, it, that uh, I need to maybe rethink my uh, um, idea or my bias about real estate investing it's pretty steady, but it's not necessarily it's it's not necessarily a sure thing, right? Yeah. Um, after you go through a storm like that, so you need to see if the math pencils out and let go of any any old biases that you have. And uh, again, back to the financial plan. Um, if you trust what the what the data says, and uh, you know, I think ultimately people think people feel that I talk to they think that they can make more money than 3% on their, their investments. Over the long so, term. Yeah. I, I think one thing that's unique about how we go about doing this, Jonas, is we do a financial plan for every single person that comes here. And I've heard other people talk about, you know, you don't need a financial plan until you have $300,000 saved or, or this. Well, if you have $5,000 and you're paying a fee to an investment advisor, that will take you, because not all would take a $5,000 account, and they help you get off on the right start and help you do all the things to get where you need to go, arguably, you're going to be better off. So something unique about us and our process is, you know, every single person that comes in here, no matter how much or how, how much money or how little money, we put them through some type of a planning process to help make, you know, fact-based, quantified decisions. Um, I'm a numbers guy, I have a finance degree, so that's just how I, how I think about things. Um, and some of the most important questions that we ask people, we try to get them to think, long term versus just today but you know what's your biggest concern over the next three years right what is that like i get it it's not 30 but three because people don't really like to think out 30 years um you know what are you excited about over the next three years and ultimately what have you done well to this point those are the three things we like to ask every single person um that comes in here and then lastly you know we want you to enjoy your money so you get excited about investing if you're not enjoying your money, you will not be excited about this process because you're going to think budget. I have to live on rice and beans. I can't have anything. I can't do anything. And that's not true. We want you to think about a new way where a mind shift to think about how do I budget in the things that I really want to do and figure out how to pay for the things that I have to pay for. Oh, absolutely, Roger. And I, uh, you know, it, we're we're not a great fit for everybody. I remember one uh, a new uh, a new couple came in, and uh, I asked them exactly that question. I said, uh, "What are you uh, What are you concerned about over the next three years?" No concerns. I said, "What are you excited about over the next three years?" 
then they weren't excited about anything. And I just kind of thought to myself, if you're not concerned about anything, you're not excited about anything. Why are you here? It's, it's going to be <laughs> pretty difficult to work with somebody. Yeah. So we're on the emotional side of uh, the, the it's a relationship business, not an investment business for us. Yeah. I, I think this book that you wrote, Jonas, is really cool because people don't they always forget the stuff that they want to do. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to people's success in investing and in getting to retirement really just predicated upon having a good process. You can still do all the things you want to do along the way, as long as you map out a plan how to get there. If you just ad hoc and you bu go buy a new car and then you buy another new car and you put zero in your 401k, you're not going to have a good outcome. I can tell you that. Um, so one of the things we encourage everybody to do is if you don't have a plan, if people aren't talking to you about this stuff, go to the website, btwellshow.com. Um, you can actually download a copy of Jonas's book there. Uh, there's also a request button. So if you want to get information from us and sit down and talk to somebody, we encourage you to do that. Um, Jonas, do you have any other kind of closing remarks for today? Well, I think doing a financial plan is just progress. It's never perfection, right? It's just, a, you've always said it's a living, breathing thing. It's very unique to every household, but it's the first step in, in very good progress financially for households. And uh, ultimately, if you can uh, reach a point to where if we do a good financial plan for people and they go away and they have a heightened sense of financial security or if they have a heightened sense even more important of financial confidence. That's the ultimate goal. It's not trying to make everybody uh, a great amount of money or finding the best investment, increasing somebody's confidence through doing a financial plan. Yeah, well, it was a great show. Appreciate you having, appreciate having you, you again, Roger. Jonas. Once again, uh, go to btwellshow.com if you wanna contact us or uh, to get a free consultation. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.